Right, go ahead and open your Bible to Galatians 5. We'll look at verses 22 and 23 for our study on the fruit of the Spirit. should be page 893 if you have a pew Bible. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come tonight with a desire to learn from your word, a desire for your spirit to minister it to our hearts and transform us. Lord, we, we, need, we, we need what you have for us. We need this to change us. We need to be meek and to be like Jesus as we ought to be. So help us tonight to understand what your word says. Let it bring forth fruit into our lives and let us leave here, Lord, different because we've spent time with you and we've been in your presence. Lord, we never want our time at church to be a a box that we check and just go on about our day. Lord, always a time to meet with you, always a time to learn from your word, always a time for your spirit to, to minister to our hearts and to work to transform us so that we could be more and more like Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit tonight. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and help me not to be a hindrance in any way. But say what you won't say, Father, nothing more, nothing less. We ask this in the mighty name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Right now, if you notice, this is our second to the last study in the fruit of the Spirit. Next time we will look at temperance or self-control. Uh, and so what I want to do is, uh, I want to do a, next week do a memory test or next time. I don't know if it will be next week. Next week maybe our prayer service. But do a memory test. See who can memorize the fruit of the Spirit. Right? We spent eight weeks looking at each one individually. So we'll memorize it. And I was thinking about it, and I'll do it like I did when I taught children's church. When I taught children's church, we had a memory verse for the kids. I had a bag of candy. And if they memorized it, I'd toss them a bag of candy. So we'll bring a bag of candy, and who wants to quote the fruit of the Spirit? And if you do, I'll toss you a bag of candy, and it'll be good candy. I don't get junky candy now. I don't get that sort of stuff that they sell at Halloween that's not any good. No, I get the good stuff, so it'll be good candy. I promise you that. Um, now this week we're looking at meekness. The Greek word that's translated as meekness is also at times translated in the Bible as gentleness. Um, And from what I could tell, there's really not any difference between gentleness and meekness. They are typically used interchangeably uh, throughout Scripture. Meekness is an attitude of of quiet, reverent, and humble submission to God that results in gentleness toward others. One of my commentaries described it this way. Meekness is not only the opposite of pride but is also the opposite of stubbornness, fierceness, and vengefulness. It is also the opposite of self-will toward God and ill-will toward men. One of the, another commentary gave two characteristics of meekness. The one was a humble state of mind. And a humble state of mind means we have an accurate view of ourselves. Right? And an accurate view of ourselves, it prevents us from being arrogant. It prevents us from being prideful and thinking we're better than others. And, and that sort of humility does result in meekness toward men, meekness toward others. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The other characteristic of meekness is strong self-control. The meek person is able to stay in control of his spirit and his mind, his body, and his attitudes. Uh, And primarily it seems to refer to the self-control to not retaliate. Right? The, the, The meek person is able to keep him or herself from responding to someone in anger. This is true whether it would be with physical violence or angry words or something along those lines. Now, 
Meekness in this case as not to respond should not be confused with cowardice or weakness. Right? If we're afraid to respond and so we don't, that's cowardice. That's not meekness. If we would love to respond but we are just not physically or some other way able to respond, that is not meekness. That is weakness. The meek person is fully able to respond. The meek person is not afraid to respond. The meek person chooses, though, not to respond. It is a really a picture of someone being so secure of who they are in Christ that they don't feel a need to respond in a moment of anger in the way that they are being lashed out at. So here, there are four general truths about meekness we need to understand. The first is Jesus is meek. The greatest example of meekness is our Savior, Jesus. We're familiar with the words of Jesus from Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I'm sure this is a familiar passage. Uh, since Jesus is meek and lowly, we should be meek and lowly. As well. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to point out Jesus as meek and lowly is because a lot of times the idea of meekness, it is seen as being you should not be confrontational. You should never confront anyone about anything. A meek person, it would be arrogant to say something was morally wrong, something was doctrinally wrong, that this action was wrong in some way. That would be, that, what our current culture tells us, that would be arrogance, that would be pride, that would not be meekness. And yet, when we look at the life of Jesus, we, we see that He is meek and lowly in heart, and yet Jesus was never afraid to confront what needed to be confronted. Right? He was not afraid of conflict when it needed to be there. Jesus was meek, and yet He still called the, the Pharisees on their hypocrisy. He even called them whitewashed tombs. That were beautiful on the outside, but were filled with dead men's bones. That is bold, but it's still meek in the way that he did it. Jesus was meek, and yet he called the religious leaders brood of vipers. And he asked them, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? Bold statement. Bold stand for what was right. Jesus was meek, yet in his passion for God's house, he made a whip and cleared the temple twice. Again, very bold in his meekness. Jesus was meek and yet he willingly and knowingly offended the religious leaders by violating their religious man-made traditions. Right? Remember, the, the law said rest on the Sabbath. And so they had made all of this of what it meant to rest. And they, they tried to trick him one day. They brought in a man with a withered hand. Into the synagogue on the Sabbath to see if he would heal. And Jesus, it says, he knew their thoughts and he knew how they would respond. And yet he healed that man anyway, furiously angering them. He was meek, but he was not afraid to offend. He was meek, but he was not afraid to stand for the truth. From this we can conclude we can be meek and still boldly confront sin. We can still boldly confront hypocrisy. We can still boldly confront injustice in the name of Christ. I would say that an unwillingness...
to confront sin, hypocrisy, and injustice will often and almost always have more to do with cowardness and weakness and not meekness. Meek does not mean we run from conflict. Meek does not mean we're afraid to confront sin and call it out. Jesus was meek. And yet he was not afraid of conflict or confronting people when there was a need. So meek, Jesus is meek. Secondly, meekness is necessary to restore backsliders. Scripture and life testify those who were once Devoted disciples of Jesus can slide back in their walk with Christ. Now there are a lot of reasons for this. But the main one we are warned about in scripture is sin. When we look at verse 16 in this chapter we find we are to to walk in the spirit. And as we walk in the spirit we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But what happens if we don't walk in the spirit? What happens if we aren't spirit filled and spirit led in our lives? Well, the implication is that we will fulfill the lusts of our flesh. And since this struggle is always going on within all of us all of the time, there will be time when genuine disciples of Jesus will quit walking in the Spirit and they will choose to fulfill the lusts of their flesh. Now, in that moment, what should happen is the disciple of Jesus should be grieved over their sin. That grief for their sin should lead them to go to the cross, to cry out to Jesus, to confess that sin, seek forgiveness and restoration, and then move out living for Jesus once again. But this isn't always what happens. Sometimes a disciple of Jesus quits walking in the Spirit, gives in to the lust of the flesh, but rather than repenting, they justify or they excuse their sin. They begin to say why it's not that bad, it's not that big of a deal, why it's okay because the world is different. The lack of grief, the lack of repentance, it leads the formerly devoted disciple of Jesus deeper into sin. And so long as they are resisting the filling and the leading of the Holy Spirit and and refusing to repent, they will continue to fulfill the lust of their flesh. They will move deeper and deeper into sin. And as disciples of Jesus who aren't pushing deeper into sin, what is our response toward those that we see erring, those that we see straying, that are moving deeper into sin? Sadly, the most common responses are to ignore it and act like it's not happening. Or to say it's not our responsibility. Or to bring down the hammer of judgment upon people. The reality is none of those are biblical responses. None of those are how we're meant to respond. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren. right? So right away, Paul is talking to believers, right? He's not talking to the, the world at large. He is talking to his brothers and his sisters in Christ. If a man, if a disciple, be overtaken In a fault, a sin. Now, one thing that I like about this that's important is no particular sin is given. Right? It doesn't mention a big sin or a small sin, a black sin or a green sin, a despicable sin or an acceptable sin, a serious sin or an innocent sin, a harmful sin or a harmless sin. It just says a sin, a fault. And the point is, genuine disciples of Jesus can be overtaken in some sort of sin. 
And when this happens, there is a biblical way those who are not overtaken are meant to respond. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Right? So here's the biblical response. Those who are spiritual. I think there are two ideas behind the idea of spiritual. First is they need to be mature believers. Right? The person who seeks to restore should be a fully grown Growing, mature disciple of Jesus. Secondly, I believe spiritual means someone who is spirit-filled and spirit-led in their own lives. Who is seeking the filling and the fullness of the spirit. And so a person who is a mature believer, who walks in the spirit, they are meant to go to them and try to restore them. right? And they are to go in the spirit of meekness. right? So let's break this down. First, restore The goal of going to them is restoration. The goal of going to someone who has been overtaken in sin, it's not to bring conviction. It's not to bring the hammer of judgment. It's not to tell them they're okay. It's not to tell them they're necessarily going to hell. The overall point of going to them is to say, you're on this path and it's leading away from Jesus. You need to get back on this path and and go with Jesus. You need to turn. But that's the goal. And we do it with a spirit of meekness. The reason we go with a spirit of meekness is because considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. That's a big thing, right? To go to them knowing there, but by the grace of God, go on. Knowing at one point in our lives, I too have ceased to walk in the spirit. I have lived to fulfill the lusts of my flesh. I have made not maybe this mistake and this sin, but I have made similar sins. And it wouldn't take much that I would end up like them. I think I remember I think remember when I was a young preacher, I was very, very self-righteous and and any time I would see a, a pastor particularly fall into sin, particularly one that was made it where people knew about it, it would just infuriate me. How, how dare they? And now that I'm older and more aware of my personal depravity and my personal sinful nature, typically my response when that happens is, thank you, God. That wasn't me. Right, Because I remember the story in John chapter 8 where they caught the woman in the act of adultery in the very act. And they said, hey, Jesus, the law says we ought to stone this woman. What do you say? And Jesus said, he that was out sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says they went away. How though? From the oldest to the youngest. Why? Because the young men were still very self-righteous and the old men a little wiser and a little more aware of their own depravity and failings. We go with meekness to restore those who have slidden back. Because there, but by the grace of God, that could be us. Given the right set of circumstances, the right issues to come into our life, any one of us could fall back in our relationship with Jesus. Any of us could stop walking in the Spirit. Any of us could fulfill the lust of the flesh. Any of us could be overtaken in a fault. Any of us could resist repentance and push deeper into sin. 
And really, honestly, would compel most of us to say at times that has been us. So we go with meekness because we're not better than them. It's just at this particular point in our lives, we are not making those same sins and those same mistakes. Really, if we can't go in the spirit of meekness, if we can't go with the goal of restoration, we should not go. I mean, if in our heart we know, I feel carnal, I'm going to go tell them how bad they are, I'm going to just kind of lay the smack down on them on this, tell them they ought to just suck it up and be better, the best thing to do in that case is sit home and watch Desperate Housewives. Don't go. Because you will do more harm than good with an attitude of arrogance. You will do more harm than good when you seek to bring conviction because that is the Holy Spirit's job and not ours. We go in humility. We go in meekness. We go desiring restoration. If we can't go that way, we ought not go at all. Meekness is necessary to restore the backsliders. Thirdly, meekness is evidence of walking in God's wisdom. In James 3, James contrasts God's wisdom from earthly wisdom. And the main difference uh, is the, the attitude they bring. Right? So in James 3, 13 through 17, it says, Who is a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Right? So this is the question. Who among you is wise and dude with knowledge? Well, here's how you show it. Let him show it out of a good conversation, a good life, his works with meekness and wisdom. So show in your life a life that is filled with meekness and a life that is filled with actions of wisdom. And then drop down and it says, but wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle. The word gentle there is the same word for meek and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without Hypocrisy. So, so that is the godly wisdom. right? It, it is seen in our lives. As we live our lives, it is seen in our meekness and how we live and in the wisdom of the choices we make. And the meekness in our lives, that godly wisdom, it, it makes us pure, right? first and foremost. It, it's not a, we seek to get along at any cost. It is first biblically pure, doctrinally pure, biblically right. But outside of that, it is also peaceable. Right? Not seeking to stir up strife, not seeking to cause contention, not seeking to cause conflict. It is gentle in how we deal with people. Right? Because all of this is in the context of dealing with other people. So we are, when we have godly wisdom reigning in our life, we are gentle in our dealings with others. We are easy to be entreated, right? We're, it's, it's okay, people can come talk to us, we're easy to talk to, we're not going to jump on, just jump down their throat at the first sign of anything that goes on. We are full of mercy, we understand. People may have different opinions than we do, different ideas than we do, we're not going to just automatically assume the absolute worst about them. And then it's full of good fruits, it treats all people equally, and it's not double-minded in its way. So that's godly wisdom, so what is devilish wisdom like what is the other wisdom because he said it but but if not it's bitter envying and strife in your hearts bitter envying that's pretty rough now bitter envying um refers to a 
a jealousy toward others that kind of eats at us until we become bitter at those who kind of have what we don't have but think we should have. Right? It is, and it can be in any number of ways. It doesn't have to be necessarily about church things. I have a car I don't have. I should have a car that good. I hate them because they have that. It could be, well, they get to go up front in church and sing, and, and other and I want to go up front and sing, and, and so I, I hate them because they get to do it and I don't. It could be any number of things along those lines. We are jealous of what they have, what they're doing, what's happening in their life, and it makes us begin to despise and be bitter towards them. And then strife. Now the strife mentioned there is more than just intentionally created conflict, which that's kind of the idea. That's a part of it. Is someone who intentionally tries to create conflict in a group of people. But it's more than just someone who likes to stir the strife. It also seems to have a particular focus on conflict caused because of selfish ambition. Right? So it's not just I like to stir things up and watch people get mad. It's I ought to have my way. Things ought to go the way I want them to go. I ought to get to do what I want to do. And if if we're not going to do what I'm going to want to do, I'm going to do everything I can to make it miserable for everybody else. I will do all that I can to stir up strife and conflict and division wherever I am. In the church, in the office, any place. Now, notice where that wisdom comes from. Right? It's not from above, so it's not from God. It's earthly, which that makes sense. Doesn't that sound like our world? If I can't have it my way, I'm going to make everybody miserable until they give in to me doing it my way. It is sensual, meaning it is basically derived from the lust and the desires of the flesh. The last one is the most important. Devilish. I think the New King James would say demonic. (laughs) Now, that's pretty bad, right? If I am driven by selfish ambition, if I am driven by a, a, a jealousy that makes me bitter, I really can't say I'm godly. I really can't say it is godly wisdom leading me to do anything that I do. Instead, I am... Very earthly minded. I am very sensually driven. I am demonically influenced. That's pretty rough. Right? And so the the key thing, the point I think that James is making is those who are motivated by bitter envy and selfish ambition, they're the opposite of me. Have you ever known people who were motivated by bitter envy and selfish ambition? Were they meek? No. They will seem meek as long as they're getting their way. But part of meekness is they stay meek even when they don't get their way. Those who are driven by selfish ambition and by bitter envy, when things don't go their way, they become harsh. They become overbearing. They become just downright mean. So a part of our dealing with others, we have to be have godly wisdom to guide us. And godly wisdom is always going to be seen in part through the meekness of our lives. And then finally, meekness is necessary for soul winning. 
Now since soul winning requires us to deal with people, it should not be surprising that our attitude matters. Peter says it this way. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason for the hope that was in you with meekness and fear. Just as it's important to be meek in trying to restore a fallen brother or sister, it's just as important for us to be meek as we're witnessing to unbelievers. Right? We Again, this is not being wishy-washy. This is not being fearful. This isn't whitewashing the truth. If, if we are sharing the gospel and they and we're sharing scripture, we're talking about spiritual things and they ask, is, are you saying this is a sin? It is not meek to say, well, I, well, I don't know. You have to ask God. I mean, you just have to search the scripture and see what it says and pray about it. Let God tell you. But if the Bible's clear, that answer is not meek. That answer is weak. That answer is cowardice. Right? Meekness is that we're not pounding our Bibles out of meekness. Is, is in that we, when they ask a question, we don't go, oh my gosh, are you an idiot? Right? Meekness is in our, our tone. It's in how we answer their questions, how we deal with their objections. It, it's, it's in not getting mad. Right? When I was, again, when I was younger, someone would ask a question, it would just infuriate me. Right? Oh, you can't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, and, and it would just fly all over me. That was not meekness. That was self-righteousness. That was not anything good or godly. Meekness, understand, some people literally legitimately have those questions. And meekness doesn't respond in anger even when they don't respond toward Christ as we think they ought to. Our, our soul winning, our evangelizing should never be done with an attitude of arrogance. It should never be done with an attitude of judgment. This doesn't do anything to further the kingdom of God. And as a general result, or as a general rule, it, it serves to hinder it. So as we seek to, to share the gospel, of course we want to make sure our message is right, our doctrine is right, our Bible is right. But equally important is to make sure our attitude is right. You can say the right thing in the wrong way and still not reach the person for Christ because our attitude is so off-putting. The Bible talks about the offense of the cross, the offense of the gospel. If people that we're trying to reach are to be offended, let it be offended with the message because the message is at times offensive. Jesus died horribly for your sin. You can't solve your sin problem. And apart from Jesus, you absolutely will go to hell. Without repenting and believing. That is, that is offensive all by itself. We don't need to add to the offense of the cross. The offense of the attitude. The offense of judgment. The offense of self-righteousness. Meekness will keep us from doing that. So how do we develop this in our lives? I think first we have to add an accurate picture of ourselves. The main hindrance to being meek in our dealings with others is an inaccurate view of ourselves. And really when you think about it, an accurate view of ourselves flows from pride. Just plain old pride. Pride makes us look down on others or look on them with judgment 
and make them think or make us think we would never do the things that they've done. We would never make the same sort of mistakes. Pride makes us feel we are the, the center of the universe. And it makes us angry when everyone doesn't accept the fact that we are the center of the universe. And we combat this pride by having an accurate view of ourselves. I think, as this is part of my daily Bible reading today, Paul says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good I would do, I do not. But the evil I would not, that I do. Paul recognized that on his own, just in him, as Paul, there was nothing good. Nothing good at all. That on his own, he had a desire to do what was right. But on his own, he did not have the ability to do what was right. He wanted to do for Jesus. But he didn't always do it. Instead, he often gave in to his sinful desires. He goes on because he knows his situation is not hopeless. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, he recognized the only way he could have victory over this struggle was because of Jesus, through Jesus, and because of what Jesus had done. That's an accurate view of himself. That's why Paul was able to deal so meekly, so gently, so kindly so many people who had such wild and pagan and really difficult and sinful beliefs in life. We too must have an accurate view of ourselves. Now, having an accurate view of ourselves, that's not saying things about ourselves that's not true. It's not meek. There's a, a pastor in Oklahoma and, and he's has typically been known as one of the better preachers in the state. And it's not uncommon that when he gets up to preach, he'll spend a few minutes talking about he's not that good of a preacher and he's sorry for the sermon and things along those lines. And it's a false humility. It's not, he really doesn't believe that. He's pretty sure he's a good preacher. It's, it's really pride. I mean, it, it, that is arrogance on its own, that sense of false humility. So false humility, saying things about ourselves that's not true, that's not meekness. Meekness is being real and honest about what's there. Because the the truth is, within us, on our own, there is no good thing. Paul says in Romans 3, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who does good. There is none who seeks after God. That's you and me. That's us. Apart from Jesus, we are not righteous. We are not good. We do not seek after God. We we do no good things apart from Jesus. That's a humbling thought. The desire and the ability to sin is always within us. Even if we don't give in to it, the temptations are there. The thoughts, the, 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 the words, the, the desires of our heart at times, they are sinful. We struggle to keep those desires in check. And as hard as we try, there is none of us in here that always keep those desires in check. At times, we act sinfully. And we may act sinfully in different ways, but we all act sinfully at times. And the only way we will ever have victory 
ever not be condemned because of our sin. It is Jesus. And not any good thing that we have ever done or any good thing we will ever do. That is an accurate picture of each and every one of us. And there is something humbling about saying that. That's true of me. Embracing that as a a fact. That that is just as true of me as it is with anyone else. And that, that humility that it brings, it enables me to be meek, to be gentle in my dealings with others. I am not better than them. Secondly, accept and obey God's word. Another way meekness is demonstrated is in our attitude towards God. It's not just our attitude towards man, but also our attitude towards God. One of the ultimate acts of arrogance is to know God's word and willingly disregard it. Now let me show you what the Bible says. Look at James 1, page 930. It's a familiar passage. James 1 and 21 says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Right? So we are to receive the word with meekness. That, that's, that is what we are to do as disciples of Jesus. Right? We are not lords over the word. We are students under the word. And we are to receive it with meekness. But... How can I know if I've received the word with meekness? Or how can I know if instead of receiving it with meekness, I'm arrogantly discarding it and putting it aside? We'll look at the next verse. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your sins. So what is an attitude of meekness towards God's word? It is doing it. That when I see what it says... I take it and I put it into practice. That is meekness towards God. When I see what it says and I come up with a reason why I don't have to do what it says, that is arrogance, and I deceive myself, James says. Therefore, deceiving yourselves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself And goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So it pictures that we deceive ourselves. It's like we look in the mirror, and we see stuff on our face. And then we walk away, and we don't clean it off, and we we act like we forgot that it was there. But I always think about this in relation to when I was in the army, we'd camo our faces up when we were out in the woods. And that camel paint, you put it everywhere, up under your eyes, behind your ears, in your ears. And it, it's difficult to get off. And, and if you try to get it all off and clean it off without standing right in front of a mirror and looking, you're going to miss some. And so you're going to end up going out to eat on that first night back. And you're going to have brown behind your ear looking nasty because you've got camel there that you didn't get out. Uh, and, and at times that's what the word is. It's kind of a mirror. It reflects back. Who we are. It shows us. 
Brother, you're dirty. Sister, you ain't right. And in that moment, we have a response. We have a a, a choice. Am I going to respond with meekness and and clean myself according to the Word? Or am I going to deceive myself and act like I'm okay? Now, sadly, many people do respond to that with, with anger. But as one guy said, that if the mirror shows you an ugly face, it ain't the mirror's fault. Right? If what we, when we come to the Word, if it shows us things that aren't right, that convict us, that anger us, that upset us, the Word's not wrong and the Word's not at fault. We are. And we receive it with meekness by doing what it says. We see this sort of meekness several times in Scripture. We see it in the Thessalonian believers. For this cause we thank God without ceasing because when you receive the Word of God, which you heard of us, you receive it not as the Word of men, but as it is the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Paul came, Paul preached. And what did they do? They said, that's God's Word. We're going to do what it says. They, they didn't say, well, that's just, that's just man's opinion. That's just man's idea. It's God's Word and we're going to do it. Now, of course, I'm not saying ever take my Word or anybody else's Word and just be like, he's preacher said it, we should do it. Right? You, you always test it against Scripture. Don't ever take anybody's Word like that. When you start taking somebody's Word and you can't test it against Scripture and study it for yourself, that's a cult and you're going to end up drinking Kool-Aid off somewhere. Right? Don't do that. But if what's being preached, if what's being taught, if it's what the Bible says, it's the Word of God. And you're responsible to respond with meekness and, and do it. Put it into practice. Another one is Cornelius. The centurion. It's a God-fearing man, a God-fearing Greek, who an angel sent and told him to come and, and send for Peter to come. And when Peter came, he said, Immediately I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear the things that are commanded thee of God. I, I want to hear from God, he says. You, you tell us, we're, we want to hear, not I'm going to set in judgment, I'm going to set up, teach us. He was ready to hear and ready to obey God's word. That was meekness. Our response to God's word shows whether or not we're meek towards God. Shows whether or not we have humble submission towards God. That is the characteristic of meekness. So we must accept and obey God's word. And then finally, walk in the spirit. Go ahead and turn back to Galatians. And we've looked at this a few times, so I won't spend much time on it. But this is always one of the key thoughts, a key idea with the fruit of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit is working to produce this in our lives. And as you look at chapter 5 and verse 17, well, verse 16, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So if the fruit of the Spirit is meekness, and it is, and then it must be God's will for us to be meek, and it must be the Holy Spirit's desire to produce meekness within us. And if that's the case, where does our unwillingness and our hesitancy to be meek come from? Well, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That unwillingness to be meek, it is a... A lust of the flesh. It is a desire of our sinful nature. It is a part of our base nature. That is keeping us from being like Jesus. 
Holy Spirit is working to make us meek. But our sinful nature is pulling back against this. My, my sinful nature pulls back against this. All that I said about not responding, that is not my nature. I have never been one to not fire back with a sarcastic, hateful comment or something worse. That, that has never in my life bothered me to do. To stop and hold that in and not fire back like that goes against everything in my natural self. But everything within me that is calling me to, to throw a punch, to respond in anger, that's not God. That's not the Spirit of God. That is absolutely my sinful nature. So when that desire to resist meekness, to be proud, to be arrogant, to be hateful, to be violent, to be angry comes out, we have a choice. Will we surrender to a spirit that is calling us to be meek and keep that under control? Or will we surrender to our sinful nature and act in the way those who don't know Jesus act? I mean, that, that is the choice always before us. And so we have to choose. In verse 25, Paul says, if we live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. And I've mentioned this several times, that that's the same picture as soldiers keeping in step during a parade. We, we keep in step with the Spirit. We move when He moves. We say what He says. We follow where He leads. And when we do this, He will produce meekness in our lives because He will lead us to act in ways that are meek. He will lead us to speak in ways that are meek. He will lead us to react in ways that are meek. We cannot be meek without walking in the Spirit. We, we can be cowardly and be afraid to respond. We can be weak and be unable to respond. But we cannot be strong enough to respond, wanting to respond and not respond without the filling, the leading, and the controlling of the Holy Spirit. We must intentionally surrender to His leadership in our lives if we want to be meek as we're meant to be. So as we seek to implement this, do you have an accurate view of yourself? Not self-condemnation, not anything fake, but an accurate view of who you are apart from Christ. And does that produce humility in you toward others who act the way you would act apart from Christ? If not, you need to work on that. Is there an area of your life where right now you know you are not obedient to God's Word? There is something you know God is saying, fear from Scripture, you were meant to do this or you need to stop doing that and you're not. You are not being meek toward God. You are arrogantly exalting yourself against Him and you must change that. Are you keeping in step with the Spirit and following His leadership? It is never His leadership to be arrogant. It is never His leadership to be harsh and to be the opposite of meek. And if we're not, we need to listen for His leading, His guidance and follow that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And guide us, Lord, to be meek. We don't live in a meek world. Meekness is seen as a synonym for weakness. 
Lord, there will be people who call us names as coward and other things if we were to respond in meekness as we see in Scripture. And yet, if we are secure in our identity in Christ, we can put up with the insults of others so that we can be like Jesus. God, forgive me the lack of meekness so often evident in my life. Help me to be better to surrender to the Holy Spirit and not listen to my sinful nature. Guide us, O God, that we would follow Your Spirit, that we would search our lives and see if there's any area we're not surrendered to the Word, and that we would humble ourselves through an accurate view of who we are and what we're like apart from Christ. Let Your Spirit fill us. Let the fruit be evident in our lives and that people say, why do you live the way that you live? And that would give us an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, who He is and what He's done. We ask this in Christ's name and for His sake.